right, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. <clears throat> like I said, we should uh, be able to get through the uh, um, this uh, chapter, hopefully today. Um, we took a look at uh, primarily the first part of it, uh, through, right around through verse 10, and we're going to pick up with verse 11 uh, here in just a little bit. But uh, let's go ahead and uh, open with a, a word of prayer. Uh, we'll get started tonight and uh, get uh, get into this passage. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us today. We thank you for the good morning that we had um, here at Sunday School and uh, with your morning service. And Lord, we just thank you for the fellowship and the encouragement. And Lord, we thank you again for what you're doing for us tonight and teaching us and giving us wisdom and guidance Pray, Lord, that as we look at this wise man and who is that wise man and the one that exercises judgment, that, Lord, we would understand the truths that you've given and uh, you will understand what uh, Solomon has written here. And um, as they're often said, they're dark sayings that uh, in, really require deep investigation in, Lord. I pray that we would just have that diligence this uh, evening to look at it, to understand the intent And to realize that a life that is lived without you is vain. And Lord, again, I thank you for those that are here tonight. I pray, Lord, we just all have open hearts and open ears, ready to receive what you have for us. Pray you be with me and my voice and just uh, keep it still functional, Lord, uh, throughout this time. And these things I do ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so here we are in uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, and uh, we we saw where he began to pick up another vanity that he was looking at in verse 9, and he saw all the things that were, as he says here, uh, done under the sun. He was applying to look at the work, and he looked at an individual that was ruling in a wicked way. He looked at the, the wicked man that was buried and and forgotten, and he began to realize that the work, the, the these things that people focus on with these wicked individuals and wicked rulers, those are those are generally those that are going to be forgotten. They're not always remembered. But as we go through this a little bit more, he brings up this very important point, verse eleven, and I want to focus on that to start with. And he says in verse eleven, because sentence in chapter eight, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter eight, verse eleven says, because sentence. Against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And, you know, we we start talking about this, and again I want to reiterate the importance of this principle. Uh, When sin is, is there, sin has to be dealt with quickly, promptly. It's it's not to be, uh, uh, if you will, coddled and uh, continue in life. If if we actually had sentences that were dealt with speedily and sin was dealt with with the severity at which God looks at it, uh, there would be a lot less crime in this world. Um, you know, the, the, those are always overriding principles that we see even in the legal world today. But but as as we look at this and we go into verse eleven. <clears throat> Right, moving on from verse 11 to through verse 12, he says, Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, the, the, the wicked neither shall he, be pro, shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. 
So, again, if we go back to the last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, and again, just to refresh our memory again, the last chapter, in chapter 12, and verse 13 and 14, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of man, the whole duty of man. We begin to realize that as Solomon is making these comparisons, and sometimes people say, well, what Solomon's saying is not necessarily true, and, and they, they, they debate back and forth about this book and, you know, all of these things, but the comparison is evident. The comparison are those that are uh, going to have God in their life and those that are not going to have God. And we find this, as we go through this, taking a look here in verse 12, he says, you know, this, this is something that we seem to see. You know, obviously we know that, that the sentence that is executed against an evil work speedily is something that needs to happen. Otherwise, it's going to allow sin to continue. If sin is not dealt with, sin will grow. I mean, you just look at our nation today. That's evident. And now I saw an article just briefly, and I didn't read it yet because I knew it was going to make me mad before service. But it was talking about something about the allowance of psychedelic mushrooms to be used and distributed, much like they're doing with marijuana now. You can go to the store and go to where you get your marijuana. You can go ahead and get some shrooms. I'm like, whose bright idea is that? And somebody's saying, oh, well, you know, it helped me. Well, I know a guy that a kick in the head helped him one time. <laughs> but I don't see everybody jumping up to get that done. <clears throat> get your free kicks in the head over here. But the but the end result is is we realize that the more we allow sin, the more sin begins to propagate. And here he is looking at this situation, looking at what's going on, seeing sin increasing, and he makes a statement about it, and he says, Look, even though a sinner is going to do evil a hundred times. And it, his days are prolonged. He says, there's something that I see here that is a truth. That is not vanity. That man's life may be vanity because he's increasing in wickedness because nobody's putting any controls on him. And it may seem like his days are long here on earth. The idea is, is that this is a temporal situation. His days are as a shadow. They're like that vapor that we've talked about. And you go over to where he talks about it in the book of James, and he says, our life is a vapor. It's there one minute, it's gone the next, whereas the grass, that when, you know, obviously the sun comes out like right now, what happens? It turns brown and withers. All the flowers turn brown, you know, they fade away. All of these things, they're temporary. They're temporary. And what we find with this statement that he's looking at here, he says he knows one thing. He knows one thing. And it goes right back to what he was teaching over there in the book of Proverbs about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A person that fears God is going to have prolonged days. Now look... I understand there's a lot of people that talk about injustice in this world. And there's a lot of people, when you go out soul winning, they will talk about how they think God is not just. 
And they will say, well, how is it that somebody such as, uh, you know, Adolf Hitler could have a, a, a good, uh, healthy life? Why didn't God just kill him as a child? Well, if it was in this day and age and, in, you know, where abortion was free, probably would have been. But that being said, here, here's what we look at. You realize that even if he, if, even if he lived to be a hundred years old, even if he had lived to be a hundred years old, that's a short amount of time compared to eternity. His days are not going to be prolonged. God does not consider that a prolonging of days when you are in torment for the rest of eternity. He calls it a second death. There's there's an opposite to eternal life that is called eternal death. Eternal death. I mean, you're 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 going through that aspect for the rest of eternity because that's how he views sin. That's how sin is so sinful, exceeding sinful to him, and he wants us to have that same mentality. And as he points out here in verse 12, regardless of the life that is here, the only one who, 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 uh, um, who's gonna have a long life are those that are going to fear God. Those that have trusted him as their Lord and Savior, those are the ones that, that, that are, are, um, uh, the ones that are gonna have that, uh, uh, that prolonging of days. As he goes on to it, he says, in, in verse 12, he says, yeah, surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. He understands that, that regardless of however their life is lived here on earth, that the end result is it is going to be well. We sing a song, it is well with my soul. It's a great song. And they're talking about all the trials and tribulations and everything that goes on. We still have that peace from God. And at the end of this life, regardless of what, you know, we went through in this life, whether we had a, a, a nice, you know, beautiful life, or maybe we had a life that was seemingly like Job's, but it wasn't for seven, you know, a, a small period of time. It was for an extended length of time. Regardless of that, we still understand that it is going to be well for those that fear God. Those that don't, those that defy him, there's a very different ending. There's a very different ending. As he says here in verse 13, he says, but it shall not be well with the wicked. Shall not be well with the wicked. So here we're talking about a wicked ruler. Here we're talking about uh, a person, uh, (coughs) excuse me. The wicked that's going to be forgotten. You realize that those individuals that are in hell are going to be forgotten forever? Nobody's going to talk about them. There's not going to be conversations up in heaven talking about Adolf Hitler. There's not going to be conversations talking about, you know, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. And those are extreme things. Unless, of course, perhaps some way along, you know, along the way, you know, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer trusted Christ as his savior and Adolf Hitler trusted Christ as his savior. But I'll tell you this, if he did, there's going to be a lot to be answered for for that one. But the end result is those wicked are going to be forgotten. 
So in conjunction with what we see here where, he, where he's talking about uh, these ones in verse 10 where he says, I also saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the holy, from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had uh, so done. This is also vanity. Here on earth, they're going to be forgotten because it's a new heaven and a new earth, and those that are living in the new heaven and new earth aren't going to be concerning themselves with them. We see, you know, obviously a city that's described there in, in the end of, of, of the book of Revelation, that new city that comes down, uh, you know, there it is, New Jerusalem, and he describes it. And there's no sin, and there's no death, and there's no sorrow, as we read a little bit about that this morning. And here's these individuals that, 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 that are not going to fear God, and he says their days are not going to be prolonged. He says, it shall not be well with them, neither shall he prolong his days, in verse 13, which are as a shadow. Meaning they're there one minute and they're gone the next. And he says, because he feareth not before God. He refuses to submit himself to God's authority. Now there's a great principle that's here. Generally, you want things to go well in your life. So what do you do? You fear God. Because you understand that being at odds with God is not going to be a very profitable endeavor. So, you know, regardless of how many times we try and fail and, you know, as a righteous man, you know, learns to, to stand up again. And the same thing is true with us. And we're, 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 you know, we still have a healthy fear of God. I would in no way, shape or form you know, think it appropriate in any way to shake my fist at God and blame him for anything in my life. Why is that? Because anything that needs to be blamed is probably squarely on me. But it's not on God. Anything that he had put me through that I may think was false or unjust or whatever it may be was for my learning, for my growth, for my edification, for, 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 because why? Because affliction and tribulation brings about patience, which is what he wants in every Christian's life. So as we see this here, we realize that there has to be this acceptance of who God is. And I dare say that that's one of the main themes about the wise and the fool. And I dare say it's a main theme about this book, too, about whether or not we're going to accept the king of kings and his authority and fear him, or are we going to try to accept man's authority? Because in the end, we see all these things that man is doing, and what do we find? It's vain, it's unfruitful, it's considered vanity, all of these things that he talks about that seem to be, if you will, a waste. But that which is done for God is not. It is not. They're not being prolonged for the wicked. It's a short time. <coughs> you know, here we are as creatures of time, bound by time, and we have to go through this. You know, and, and time is a is a very interesting thing when we look at it from the perspective of of how we interpret it and uh, um, how our brains view it. But I will say this: when it comes to time, time is fixed. Time is fixed. There is only a certain amount of time that this earth is given, and then it's up. Our, our our time here on earth is limited. He says 70 years and anything beyond that, 
you know, obviously there's a, the grace of God, but, you know, there may be some tribulation with those things. But as we look at what God's saying here, he's saying, look, even though this guy does all of these things and, and, and it looks like his days are prolonged here on this earth, they're not. So this means this one thing with this, with this principles that we're seeing here, the time that is spent here on earth is going to be dependent on what filter we look at it through. And what I mean by that is this. If we go about looking at all the things that happen in this world and we say, well, that's unjust. Because a sinner is getting away with something, but yet a Christian is suffering. And we're going to have that thought of, well, that's not right. How is it, you know, the guy that's over here that, uh, you know, has uh, essentially uh, uh, defied God at every single uh, point in his life and is uh, promiscuous and is a drunkard and, uh, you know, uh, smokes anything that's under the sun, lives a life well into his 90s, but yet for some strange reason, here's this guy that at 20, 30 years old, develops a cancer, and he's a saved, born-again child of God. And somebody's going to say, well, that's not fair. Well, first and foremost, it all depends on what we're looking at. And it depends how we look at it. It depends on what lens we look at it through. Who, I mean, again, who, who, who are we to say that God is not just? I know that he is just. He saved my soul. <laughs> and I'm not saying my soul was worth anything to be saved. He, he He's merciful and he's kind and he extended his love towards me and I received uh, Jesus Christ as my Savior and I understand his justice is very different than the world's view of justice. Because take a look at this. He continues on going through this and he... <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, allergies are just getting me today. For some reason, <clears throat> take a look at what he says here in verse 14. He says, there is a vanity which is done upon the earth that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. Notice he said that this is vanity. He's looking at this and he's saying, look, this is a vain thing. Why is it that over here you got somebody that's doing what is right is going to suffer like the wicked should suffer and that somebody that's doing wrong is actually getting blessed, it seems like. This is exactly what he was just talking about. He begins to progress in this. And I will tell you that that is one of the biggest hurdles of belief that many people will struggle with. Many people will struggle with that. People get diagnosed with a terminal illness, they will start asking that question. They, they, they'll begin thinking about this. They'll begin saying, okay, well, well, what happens to me? You know, here I am trying to live for the Lord. And then you've got your wonderful friends that come along that are just like Zophar and the rest of them. And they say, well, obviously you must have sin in your life because you're being judged of God. Well, let's make it clear. Job was not being judged of God because of sin. He reaped weeds that he didn't plant. There were seeds of the devil. 
in his life. Because the devil was trying to get at God and prove that God was wrong. And that God was a liar. But in the end, God knew exactly what God was going to do. And knew exactly how it was going to turn out. Which is why he continued to defend Job. And Job had a couple of things he had to get taken care of. I get that. I understand that. But the end result is the devil was the one that was made to look like a fool. Why? Because he said, Job's going to curse you to your face. Not once did Job do that. And that was the bet, right? That, that, that was the defiant nature of, of Lucifer in the face of God. An accuser. An accuser. And here we are with what seems unjust. And I'll tell you, without God, it would seem to be. Without God, it would seem to be. But once we begin to understand what judgment is, in the eyes of God, all will be just. Let's go back and take a look at the very last verse of the book. Let's take a look at the conclusion again. Chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He identifies exactly what we're supposed to do. Why? He says, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. It will be judged according to God's standards, not ours. Things look vain when we judge it according to our standards. Now, I'll tell you this. This is what's going to happen. That wicked man that looks like he's getting blessed, guess what? He's going to stand in front of God someday. Which do you think is more terrifying? Suffering here in this life a little bit because he's wicked? Or standing in front of a holy and righteous God realizing that you were 100% totally wrong with everything that you did in your life? And realizing you just wasted And the guy that you thought was crazy telling you that you were going to die in your sins and go to hell if you didn't trust Christ as your Savior was 100% right. Could you imagine having the total recall right then and there where God restores every memory of every instance where you, where that person had an opportunity to hear the gospel and they rejected it at every single turn? And there they are and they're going to stand in front of God. And yeah, they may have had a big business and yeah, they may have had 16 cars and yeah, they may have had a fleet of boats and a fleet of planes and who knows how many mansions and, and be able to live a luxurious quote unquote lifestyle and all these things that will not compare to anything that's in heaven, by the way. It's not going to bury anything in heaven. Heaven, there's no need for jets, boats, or cars. I want you to think about that for a minute. You just go, I want to be here and you're there. Just like Jesus Christ. With his glorified body, he appeared in the midst of them and then he disappeared. He can go zoop, zoop. Remember they were, there they were and there's two guys along the way. <clears throat> they sit down and eat with them. He breaks bread. They realize who he is and boom, he's gone. Can you be, can you imagine doing that? You realize that that is not a possibility with the unsaved, with the wicked. 
They don't get any of that. I mean, that's just one little thing. I, I, I think it's kind of cool. I look at it and go, that's a pretty neat thing to do. An amazing thing to do. You know, I mean, we see it in all sorts of sci-fi and science fiction stuff. But, but there it is in reality. And there's no Scotsman on the other side saying, you know, yeah, that you're asking to get beamed up. What happens? That, 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 that unsaved, unregenerate person is going to face judgment. See, when we start looking at things in the eyes of the judgment of God, it will change the perspective of what we see here in this life. People will say, how can individuals and people let go on what goes on in Portland and Seattle? How can this stuff continue? How is it that I-5 can be a human trafficking corridor? How is it that these individuals are even allowed to have one extra breath every single day? Can you imagine, though, there they are with all of those things that they've done, and now they have to answer for all of them? And he's going to judge their works, and he's going to go through item by item with every single sin that they ever did in their entire life right there in front of them and say, you did this, that's guilty of death. And here you are, you did this, and that's guilty of death. And here you are, you're doing this, and that's guilty of death. Lake of fire for this one. Which do you think is more terrifying? In this world mentality, in this flesh that we live in, we often think we want justice here. But real true justice isn't experienced here. It's experienced later. We often demand it here. We seek it here. But God will execute it at some point in time in that person's life. And I dare say that often is the case, there's a great extension of mercy towards that person. So that in the end, as they're standing there in front of God and they say, what do you mean I'm going? Uh, but, but, and he's like, I blessed you with those things. You had some physical things. Did you think you got them yourself? Did you not see my hand? Could you imagine the horror of realizing that? That the empire that you thought you built wasn't yours? There's a lot of things that are going to be taking place on, you know, at the judgment that sometimes we're not really going to fathom here in this life. What it's going to look like. But here he says, he says, look, I looked at this and I came to a conclusion. Verse 15. Going back over to chapter 8, verse 15, he says, Then I commended mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that shall abide with him of his labor all the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. I always go back to that... that, uh, that uh, um, story that uh, Brother Bard told about the two drunks that were in the bar. And they were 
talking and the one drunk said, yeah, my wife is so, so willing to, to allow this lifestyle that, uh, he said, I can go home right now and I could demand that she makes dinner for me at two o'clock in the morning and I can get dinner. And the other drunk said, I don't believe you. And he said, come with me. And they stumble home somehow and they get there and he opens the door, calls out her name and says, I want you to make me some meat, make me some food, make me a meal. <coughs> and he says, uh, and, and she comes out, she comes out in her robe and stuff. She can obviously see she was, see she was woken up. And this, this other drunk is just sitting there watching this going, what in the world is going on? And he watches her go and do her stuff and take care of these things. And he's make, she's making meals for these guys. And the, the one guy's sitting over there with a big old grin. And he goes, see, I told you, told you. Told you. And she makes this meal and she puts it down, you know, all scratch, all fresh. She didn't throw anything in the microwave. Just hands the plates to the two two men that are there. Guy begins to sit down and he's scarfing it up. And the one drunk's just sitting there looking at it and he goes, how in the world could you do this? He said, there's no way. He said, if I was you, I would, I would, I would beat this man. And she just looks at him and says, well, you see, I trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have a home in heaven. This is the only heaven he's ever going to see. Salvation was had by those men later on. So it's based off of the very true story that occurred. And what we find with that is that there's things in this life that these individuals, they'll receive a little bit of pleasure that's here. But that's all they're ever going to get. The Bible says there's pleasures in sin for a season. For a season. You realize our life is but a season? That's it. What happens with seasons? They come and they go. They come and they go. And what do we find here? We find that he talks about that and he says, look, well, well then I'm going to commend birth. If that's all this person has to look forward to is this, then fine. Let them eat. Let them drink. Let them be merry. That's all they're ever going to get from God. They're not going to get anything else. Which would we rather have? The things here in this life, in this earth, that are temporal, that will only pass away, and that will only be here during the days of our life, or those things that are eternal? Those things that last forever. And he makes it clear here. This is what happens. And many people will sit there and think, well, well, well it's, 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 this is wrong mentality. Solomon's basically saying, well, they might as well just, you know, go ahead and live it up and party on, if you will, because the conclusion is that they're going to stand in judgment one day. They, you know, this, this is going to continue and go on and so on and so forth. And, and this man that's doing this, they're not wise. Why? Because God's not involved in it. He, he, look, he really truly has nothing. What does he have? He has nothing. Look at, look at that verse. He says, he says, because a man hath uh, no better thing under the sun than to eat, to drink, to be merry, for that shall abide with him of his labor all the days of his life. 
which God give him under the sun. That life is given to him under the sun by God. And here he is living it, and he's living with these things, and that's the, that he, that there's nothing better under the sun other than that for him. Let me ask you this question. Which is better? Sitting down to a nice, big, juicy, juicy, perfectly cooked steak, non-lumpy mashed potatoes seasoned with a really good gravy, fresh grilled corn on the cob just seasoned perfectly with butter dripping off of it, fresh biscuits with honey. You're like, well, that's just, what are you doing? This is just wrong. <laughs> We look at that food and we go, man, that sounds good. That sounds good. For Chris, he's got his bacon steak wrapped with bacon. The mashed potatoes are wrapped in bacon and the corn's wrapped in bacon. Right? Which would you rather have? Which is better? That or sitting down and reading from the word of God and God starts showing you something. And God starts revealing a truth to you. And all of a sudden, a puzzle piece just like, 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 like a magnet just goes shoom, And you go, <gasps> and the next thing you know, the more you think about it, another piece just goes shoom, And you go, oh. And then here comes another one, boom, right there. And you're like, oh, it's starting to make sense. And the Holy Spirit speaking to you and you're crying as you're reading your Bible and you're praising God as you're reading your Bible. Which would you rather have? That meal or that time with God? In the earthly mentality, that's the best thing they have. But for those that fear God, that sweet relationship and communion with the savior savior over the word of god where they're savoring the meat of the word and god's teaching them and they're growing in christ and they're getting things right and their life is starting to to follow god's will what is better and he says look they've got nothing better that's it might as well eat the steak don't let it go to waste They've got a limited amount of time here on this earth. Eat it up. That's all you got. Because you'll never have this. You'll never have a relationship with the Lord. You'll never have the eternal life. You know, sometimes we have this mentality that we think the things of the world are better than the things of God. And we think that the things of God are optional in this life. That they're not really necessary. A lot of people. I've run into, my entire Christian life, I've run into a lot of people that think that way. They think this book is optional. They think living for Jesus is optional. I've run into a lot of people that think salvation is optional. But I will tell you this, there is nothing greater and there's nothing better than that. You realize that the whole book of Hebrews is talking about how much better Jesus is? 
Right? That's the whole theme of the book. And that's the, the theme of this book, too. What's better? Well, it's better to have God than to be nothing and have, well, have nothing. Because in the end, what do you get after you eat the meal? Indigestion. <laughs> if you're me and they snuck some garlic in there, pain, serious pain. You're like, I savored it for a few moments, but I knew I was going to pay for it later. And there you are. What do you have when you're done with it? I'm not trying to be disgusting. Would you have what Paul concluded with everything that's in this life? It's all dung. Not worth a lot. You actually have to have pay to have somebody take it away. And the same thing is true when we start looking at this life and we start making that comparison of what is better. Life with God or life without God. Life with God is great. Life without God is vain. It's vain. Take a look at what happens here in the next verse, in verse 16. In verse 16, he says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to see the business that is done upon the earth, and he makes this parenthetical statement, For also there is that that neither day nor night sees sleep with his eyes. Then he beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because though a man labor to seek it out, he shall not find it. Yea, farther though a wise man think to know it, he shall not be able to find it. And here he gets down to the root of the matter. He talks about, in the very first verse, who is a wise man and who knoweth interpretation of a thing. He comes to this conclusion and he starts talking about this wisdom. And he references back the wise man. And he starts looking at this and he says, look, there are individuals that will keep themselves up all day and all night seeking things. Working, laboring, whatever treasure it is in this life that they're going after, all of these things. And you see him doing this and you see him going on and he says, look, I applied my heart to, uh, um, to know wisdom. He said he took his, he took his heart and he said, I want my heart to be applied to that wisdom. I want to see what the real wise thing about this all is. And he gets to this and he says right there and to see the business that is done upon the earth. Now, again, when we see that word business, many times we are now in the thought process of, we think of businesses, corporations. We think of an employer. I almost said my employer's name. I probably shouldn't do that from pull, but... <clears throat> We, we, we think of businesses, rose hours, the corner market, the gun store, the barber shop, the bookstore that's going in, Starbucks, Taco Bell. We think of businesses. But that's not what that word business really started out to me. Our English language has changed it. You know what that word business is about? 
Take a look at the root of it. Busy. Busyness. <laughs> what do we occupy our life with? It's just a lot of busyness. There are those that are busybodies. And sometimes think busybodies are the ones that are sitting there flapping their gums the whole time. That's not necessarily the case. Busybodies are the ones that are just constantly going about, you know, if you will, wanting to hear some new thing, like the, the Athenians. Itching ears to please them and to tickle them. To, to give them self-affirmation. To, 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 to affirm their value in this world. Whatever it may be, they're going about and they're busying their life. And he says, look, I, I, I took my heart. I, 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 I put it to look at God's wisdom, to know what God's wisdom is. <coughs> and I took a look at all the things that are being done here on this earth. These things that, that, that are, 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 are being, that are occupying our time. Many of which keep us up late at night. Many of us which give, give, give us uh, sleepless nights and frantic days, all these things. And he said, I looked at all of it and I came to a conclusion. Because I looked at all the works of man and then I compared it to the work of God. And I dare say that as Solomon begins to describe this here and as I, you know, as I continue to read it and as I go over this, you know, it has a huge impact when you start asking the question, when's the last time you compared the work of man to the work of God? Let's just take this for a moment. <clears throat> the work of God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God creates. Book of Revelation, today, we, we read over there in Revelation 21, where he, he says that, that he himself, God, he, he's the creator of new things. There's really nothing new under the sun, as Solomon has already concluded here with man, but, but with God, all things are new. All things are new. Things that we can't even begin to fathom right now in our finite little you know, clump of cells that we call a brain. <laughs> but I, I will tell you this. Take a look at what, what, what man has created. What has man created? Has man created life? Dolly the sheep. Oh, please. I can get my cat cloned over in Korea. Please. That's not life. That's not life. You know, people think that they can create a human being and have a baby. That life still comes from God. Has man created life? No. No. You realize we devote more resources to destroying life? <clears throat> we just find better implements. Back then, it was bows, arrows, spears, and swords, shields. <clears throat> Nowadays, it's firearms, tanks, jet aircraft, UAVs, nuclear bombs, 
you realize the horrific things that man has caused, you know, created to kill more efficiently and in better ways? Well, look, I understand that there's normal, natural development of things and, you know, the developing better weapons and things of that nature to defend, and I get that. I get that. There should be stuff to, to know how to defend ourselves. But come on. You start, you start learning about, you know, what, 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 uh, what the countries around this world have done to create chemical warfare weapons, biological warfare weapons. You start reading some of that stuff and you realize exactly how depraved man can be. You read some of the stories of what GB and VX does, those nerve agents. You read some of the stories from World War II, or excuse me, World War I, where they were using chemical weapons with chlorine gas and mustard gas and all those things that were out there and the horrors that were caused by it. And it wasn't just a matter of just, you know, taking the enemy out. It was a matter of making sure that the enemy died a painful death. Why? To put fear into people. To put fear into people. Then along comes the Geneva Convention and says, well, we, we just need a, we just need a more humane way of killing people. What does that even mean? Well, we can't use flamethrowers anymore because that, you know, that's just horrible. War's horrible. It's awful. It's disgusting. I look forward to when the Prince of Peace is going to reign. I look forward to that. No more war? No more need for any of that? No nation against nation? Wow. So what has man created? What works have they created? And here he is, he's sitting down, and he's beginning to compare. He's looking at all the busyness, if you will, business that is done under, uh, upon the earth. And he, then what does he see? He sees God's work. He says, then I beheld all the work of God. And he says, look, man can't even figure that out. You realize that if we put the same amount of resources that we put towards the things that are out there right now, we put those resources to teaching and learning about who God is, it would be better. What happened if we were to take all of that money that gets funneled to, 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 to clinics and we were to use that and put that into a program that taught children in school the morality of the Bible? You're like, well, we can't do that. Yeah, we can. Our Constitution doesn't prohibit it, by the way. Well, the Establishment Clause, you need to go read it and you need to go learn what that says. Because that's not what it talks about. It means something totally different than what everybody else thinks it means. You realize the very first book that Congress ever published? Who knows what it was? It was a Bible. The very first book our United States Congress published was a Bible that was to be distributed and read in the schools. Why don't they talk about that as our founding fathers? Well, because it doesn't agree. 
Right. So when you take a look at the works of man and you take a look at the works of God, they don't agree. They don't agree. They don't agree. And what does he say here in in verse 17? He says that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. You know, we can sit there and we can labor all day and try to find these things. And I see these scientists frantically looking at things and they're looking at these microscopic organisms and they're trying to figure out how they work and they're trying to figure out things to combat them and trying to figure out, you know, our next national health crisis. Don't even get me started on that one. Don't even get me started on that one. But, you know, you got these individuals trying to figure all these things out, and they're looking at plants, and they're looking at frogs, and they're looking at bees, and they're looking at the stars, and they're looking at the moon, and they're all of a sudden afraid that for some strange reason China's going to go up there and plant the flag and claim the moon. Who cares? Well, they're going to mount some sort of attack from the moon, and whatever. I'm just like, you know what that is? That's busyness to occupy the mind. And I see these scientists looking at all these things, and I'm reminded of Romans chapter 1. When they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And they look at something, and they see the beauty behind it, and they look at a cell... And they look at the beauty in it, and they see it growing, and they see it multiplying. And yes, it becomes a medical term called a fetus, but that fetus is a human child. You didn't have the word fetus in the Bible, so you know what God said when a woman was pregnant? It didn't say the word pregnant, it said she was what? With child. With child. With child. With child. You want to go through and see how many times it says she was with child? So what does that mean? It was a child. Are you telling me God's not wrong, or or God was wrong, and that it's really not? It's just a clump of cells. Why don't you take a look at the clump of cells and tell me how did life start? Where did that spark come from? Where did morality evolve from? Where was the first life form, and where did it originate? If you're telling me that it spontaneously happened from an amoeba that was on a rock. Somebody seriously needs to lay off going to those the the the, the, the stores that sell the, the green stuff. Because it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. They're not going to be able to figure it out. All the work that's done under the sun, do we even begin to think, and this is where Solomon is saying, he's saying, look, I'm looking at this as one of the wisest guys in the world, and you know what I know as one of the wisest guys in the world? I'm an idiot. <laughs> and look at what he says. I mean, he, he says this. He says, in this last part, he says, Yea, he shall not find it. He says, because though a man labor to seek it out, looking at all these works and trying to, you know, find all these things, he shall not find it. They're never going to find the end to the thing. I, 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 th- th- this whole thing about subatomic par- particles just gets me so worked up, and I get into a fervor, and I tell you, if you want to get me started on something, get me started on that. Why? Because they sit there and they say, you know, at one point in time, they're like, well, the molecule's the biggest thing. Oh, no, hold on a second. We've got these things called atoms. They're the biggest thing. Oh, wait, hold on a second. We've got these things that make up these atoms. Okay, well, what makes up a proton, neutron, and an electron? 
these subatomic particles. Okay, well, what makes up those subatomic particles? And they start talking about all these things about string theories. What makes the string? You know, I swear, one of these days, I would not be surprised if all of a sudden they're going through and they see something and they find the smallest subatomic particle and they look at it through this giant electron microscope that's the size of the Empire State Building and they look at it and they go, oh, there's something on it. Look, there's, there's writing on it. What does it say? Made by Jesus? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if God did that. I really wouldn't. Just, you know, just, just to just blow their mind. Just or, or, or better yet, they, they get there and then all of a sudden they get to the, and they're like, oh, what's holding these particles together? And then they see Jesus sitting there going, you're like, when you read it and it says, by him all things were created and by him all things consist, I think that we just believe that on faith. We just say, I'm readily willing to accept that. I love this whole thing about string theory. They think it's the answer to everything. And they're going through and they're saying it's called the theory of everything. And it's going to prove everything. <sighs> Until somebody asks a question, what makes the strings? And then they just look at you like, don't talk to me. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what the strings are. Who made the strings? Where did the strings come from? You know? The end result of what happens over there in Romans chapter 1, when they're given over to a reprobate mind, is they profess themselves to be wise, but what happens? They're fools. And Solomon says that. He says this in this last part. He says, though, <coughs> excuse me, though a wise man think to know it, yet he shall not be able to find it. Yet shall not he be able to find it. The wisest guy. You know, there's answers. That Einstein, or excuse me, there's questions that Einstein couldn't answer. There are questions that Stephen Hawking couldn't answer. There are questions that Sir Isaac Newton couldn't even answer. But he had enough sense to at least go, well, if I don't know what the answer is, then the answer is God. At least Sir Isaac Newton had that. He, he may be off on some of his doctrine, and he may have been a little out there. But I will tell you, he he sure believed in the Savior. He sure believed in God. He 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 still realized we didn't come from an amoeba that was on a rock that it rained on that somehow caused a spark of life. That didn't happen. You know, we could spend our entire life searching through every little nook and cranny in this earth trying to find everything that we could find. And we will never exhaust it. We'll never exhaust it. You know, man looks to the stars and they keep seeing more and more stuff that just keeps blowing their mind. Like I said kind of geek out with this whole new James Webb satellite thing and the pictures that they're seeing and stuff. And it's like, it's pretty cool. But but I will tell you this. We don't even have to look off our own planet to find interesting things. They're still finding species in the Amazon that they never knew existed. 
They're still finding new spiders that they never knew existed. Yeah, we really don't need to know that. They're finding new frogs. They're finding all sorts of stuff. New plants, new trees, new fruits. All this stuff. They're finding stuff at the bottom of the ocean that they never expected. Albino lobsters with hairy arms that are blind. Find that over there in Boston, they're going to make a chowder out of it. That's what they'll do. Does it taste good? Sitting there saying, oh, these creatures could never exist. Giant squid never, that's that's fake. And then they pull one up and they go, whoops. I'm sorry, I'm supposed to believe the science? How about I just believe God? How about I just sit down and I realize there are things that I will never know about this earth that God has created at this time. But one day I will. And therein lies the judgment. The wicked man never will. What's better? To enjoy the things of this life or to enjoy what God teaches us? To enjoy those principles. Just just think about having the knowledge of all the things that God has created. And to show us all of that. And realize the creatures that we never knew existed. And realize that there's going to be some more of those in the new heaven and the new earth. It just makes you think. Without God, it's a pretty vain existence. Without God, it's going to look unjust. Without God, yeah, it's going to look a little bleak. Without God, it's going to be terrifying at judgment. But if we fear God, all will be well. It will be well with our soul. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. I thank you again for this opportunity, Lord, to finish up this chapter. Pray, Lord, that as we begin to move into chapter 9, that we'll begin to see more and more about the wisdom that comes from you, more and more about who you are, more and more about how we need to have you in every aspect of our life. Thank you again, Lord, for those that are here tonight. And I pray, Lord, you just take us home safely. Pray, Lord, you'd be with us as we begin to prepare for the um, the national night out. And, Lord, uh, I, I just pray that we would uh, just continually pray over that, pray over the tracks, pray over what we're doing, that, Lord, it would be a time to glorify you, to praise you, and, and, and really, truly see some fruit from these things. Lord, that we'd have an opportunity to invite people to church so that they could come hear the truth, And again, Lord, it's not for our name. It's not to grow the church in such a way that's all about numbers. But, Lord, it's about glorifying you, seeing people trust Christ as their Savior, seeing people grow in you. And, Lord, again, I just thank you for the time that we're going to have with that. And I pray, Lord, that it would be a time of blessing, that we just keep a witness that would be uh, living up to you and uh, what you've done for us. Thank you again for all that we've received this day. And Lord, I pray we just meditate on all that we've thought about or all that we heard this day and that we think about it continually to please you and honor you with all that we do. And I ask and pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.